Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The man was in worse shape than we may even realize. A person who is paralyzed is, of course, physically hindered, and probably only a small number of us truly knows what it's like to have such a debilitating condition. It changes everything. It changes your day. It changes everything about your life. It changes how you go about things. And there's not only the paralysis, there was likely some kind of medical condition or medical event that caused his paralysis, and a world without hospitals or health care made that particularly challenging for him and maybe even deadly. Add to that the man's overall welfare. This was a world without Medicaid, without Social Security, without disability insurance. A paralyzed man was unable to work, unable to provide for himself or for his family. Socially, he was completely dependent upon others. So so what he would do, he would arrange for a family member or a friend to bring him to a a public place every morning, perhaps a, a town square or a city gate. And his only means of support then would be to rely on the generosity of others who may be passing by. And then he would be taken back home at night only to begin again the next day. Perhaps worst of all, however, and maybe this is the most foreign to our way of thinking about things, would have been the assumptions made about this man's spiritual condition. The assumption would have been that not only that he wouldn't have been paralyzed by chance, but that he had done something to deserve this, that God was punishing either him or someone else in his family. And so God's judgment was manifested then by his physical condition. So by all accounts, physically, socially, spiritually, this man was truly destitute, deficient, and utterly dependent. Which is why the day he met Jesus was so miraculous. There was so much going on there beyond just a physical miracle. Now, we may be familiar with this account from the Bible. It's in three of the four Gospels. Jesus was teaching in a house one day, but the crowds were were so large, were pressing in so tight, there was no way for this group of of men to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. So, So they thought of the only thing they could do. They went up to the roof, they pulled back the tiles, and they lowered the man down on his bed. Now, Think about how startling this would have been for everyone else there. The person who on any other day, the person who was overlooked by society, even looked down upon by society, was now the center of attention. Everyone's attention, including Jesus's. Now, in that room, you had quite the contrast of people. On one end of the social spectrum, you had this helpless, dependent, and paralyzed man And on the other end of the spectrum, you had the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, Luke tells us that people were coming from every village of Galilee and Judea and that Jesus had even begun to draw the attention of some of the higher ups in Jerusalem, which is why they were there. And so when the religious leaders heard Jesus say to this man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, it was more than they could take. Who is this who speaks such blasphemies, they ask? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now what's interesting about that is they're right. 
God is the only one who can forgive sins. But what they failed to see that day was who Jesus was and what he was showing them on that day. And that's why Jesus asks this profound question. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, when we think about that question and how we might answer it, we might assume that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because you can say it and it doesn't require any physical proof. To say rise and walk to a paralyzed man requires immediate proof or you'll be discounted. But like the scribes and Pharisees pointed out, the only person who has the power and authority to forgive sins is God himself. So you see, either way, it requires one to be God. Neither is actually any easier than the other, and that's the point. And that's why Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's exactly what the man did, glorifying God all along the way. And the people in the house, in the crowd, said the same. They said, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, when the man was lying there on the floor in front of Jesus, completely helpless and utterly dependent, and then also when the scribes and and Pharisees were there standing over that man, looking down their nose not only at him, but also Jesus himself, who they accused of blasphemy, the ironic thing about that scene was that everything was actually the opposite of how it looked. See, You see, Jesus flipped the script that day. He turned everything upside down. To the destitute man, Jesus spoke a word of restoration. Not only physically, but also socially and most importantly, spiritually. Remember, the first thing Jesus said to the man is that your sins are forgiven. Jesus is the healer of both body and soul. The two go hand in hand with Jesus. Whereas the religious leaders that day, the, one who, the ones who assumed they needed no healing, physically or otherwise, the ones who assumed they were already righteous, more than this man, more than the crowds who were there, more than even Jesus himself, they were the ones who walked away sick. They were the ones who were left destitute in salvation and despondent in faith even if they couldn't recognize it. And so this tells us something about ourselves as human beings. It tells us about how it is we actually come before God, because before God, we are all sinners. We are all paralyzed with sin. Even though at times we may try to deny it, we are all just as helpless and dependent as that man who was lowered down on his bed before Jesus. It's only the fierce independence with which our culture tries to indoctrinate us and our own sinful and prideful self-determination that keeps us from seeing our true helplessness in life. But when we hear God's word, when we hear from God and reflect on our true spiritual and physical condition without God's intervention, 
We know and are well aware that we cannot do anything on our own. We cannot forgive our own sins. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot restore either our souls or our bodies. They are subject to the wages of sin, which is eternal death. We are all in need of the healing that can only come from God. And when we realize that, Well, then Jesus steps in and he flips the script for us. He turns everything upside down for us because when we come to Jesus, acknowledging our sins and our lowliness, well, then he lifts us up. Just like with that paralyzed man, Jesus is willing to forgive our sins and to restore us to new life, all without cost. Not because we can earn it or have, but because Jesus Christ has already earned it for us out of his mercy and grace. Jesus, who does have the authority to heal and to save, chose to become the ultimate servant for our sake. He laid down his life at the cross taking our place so that we in turn might be exalted, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be healed. And so that one day we know we are looking forward to the perfect healing of both body and soul forever. Now, as we know, we're in the middle of our great commission season. This is week three of four that we're planning. And And in our series so far, we've considered the various walls that Jesus knocks down for us and and invites us beyond those walls so that we might join him in his mission. And today we're talking about the walls of differences, the obstacles that we find in this world and in our lives, in our hearts and in our minds as we approach people who are different than us and different in any way imaginable. Whether they are differences of faith, differences of backgrounds, differences of ethnicity or nationality, differences of language, differences of education, differences of socioeconomic status, any kind of difference that might exist in this world. Now, differences do exist between people. It would be foolish to deny that. And this, in part, is what makes humanity so special that God has made us all unique with our differences in character and personality and backgrounds and experiences and abilities. These all contribute and make us who we are as children of God. There is a difference, for instance, between those who are raised in rural Michigan to those who are raised in the city of Saline, to those who are raised in the city of Detroit. These are important differences that we ought to acknowledge and, and be thankful for and see how we can learn from one another and come together, how God brings us together in his church, in the body of Christ. But where these differences can become problematic and where it may lead to us being hindered in our sharing the gospel and our talking about Jesus, is when we begin to equate those differences with certain values between people. If I assume that because of something that is unique to me, 
something that makes me different than you, and that difference is somehow tied to a difference in value, whether I think that makes me more valuable or less valuable than you, well, now I have entered a whole line of thinking that is not only problematic, but that is potentially sinful and extremely damaging. But this is what our world does today. And this is nothing new, actually. This has been going on since the fall in Eden. Our world is always equating differences between people with certain values. We see it happen in nationalism, racism, sexism, ageism, ableism. We see it also in things like today, in things like identity politics, which is running rampant in our world today. That's where people who are trying to counter what they view as an oppression of certain characteristics, whether it's race or gender or socioeconomic status, but they counter it by assigning then a greater value to people with different characteristics and then a lesser value to other characteristics. But you see, not only is that not helpful thinking in any way, but it's actually trying to solve the problem by exacerbating the problem. They're trying to use the problem as the solution. And all that results in in our world is even more tribalism and division that we see in our world today. And so as Christians, we must be prepared to stand against such thinking, to speak up against such thinking, to speak up against the thought process that seeks to distinguish between people based on their differences by assigning a value to them. As Christians, we speak up against racism and prejudice and discrimination. Those things are prevalent in our world. And as Christians, we also speak up against those who try to solve those issues by doing the very same thing to others. Because that's not God's way. He does not equate differences with inherent value. Instead, we need to seek and to share how it is that God values all of us so that we might not only know the true solution, God's solution to these problems, but so also that the gospel might be shared among all of us. The reason why we began today talking about what we hear in Luke chapter 5 about this paralyzed man is for that reason. Because in Luke chapter 5, what we find is an account with Jesus as one example among many in Scripture showing us how it is that God values us, differences and all. Like I said, in that house that day, there were these vast differences between various people which ran the whole spectrum. But amazingly, despite the value that we as humans are so quick to assign to other people, Jesus does not do the same. He does not have the same thought processes we do. Jesus saw this man being lowered from the roof, and yes, he saw what made this man different. But more than that, what Luke tells us in verse 20, Jesus saw something else. Jesus literally saw great faith, it says. Faith to know that we have a deep and longing need for a Savior, and faith that knows who that Savior is. He is Jesus Christ, and there is hope and healing possible only in Him. Jesus and Jesus alone is where our value comes from. 
My value as a human being doesn't come from within myself. I don't reach down deep and find that value despite what our culture tries to tell us. And also my value as a human being doesn't come from other people either. It doesn't come from someone else assigning a particular value to me, either good or bad, because of the differences in my life. Instead, my value as a human being comes from Jesus. My value comes from knowing that the God of the universe thought about me, created me, loved me, and sent his son to die for me. And that's where your value comes as well. He thought of you, loved you, created you, sent his son for you. Now, paradoxically, we don't find our value by being able to bring anything of value to God. But instead, we find our true value when we realize that we cannot bring anything of value to God. That the only thing we bring him are are the filthy rags of our sins and our desperate need and dependency for a savior. And when that happens, when we do, what we find is that Jesus steps in just like he did for the paralyzed man. And he imparts to us a value that we nor this world could ever provide. We are provided with his forgiveness, with his righteousness, with his life for us. And as we consider then the people around us, people who are different than us, and and let's be honest, everyone is different from everyone else. We have who have been brought low in our sins, but have been exalted by our Savior. We now see everyone and everything through that same lens. We see other people as God sees them. We see every person from from world leaders to homeless beggars. From the Olympic and Super Bowl athletes to disabled veterans. From farmers in Michigan to businessmen and women from other countries. Everyone, male and female, mothers and fathers, children and grandchildren. From the very old to the very young. We all have this value imparted to us. Because we are all created by God. And we are all sinners in need of a savior. There is no one who in and of themselves has any more or less inherent value than another person. We all come before God as equals, equally needing, equally needing Jesus. And we are all equally redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God desires every person to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth of his son. And that then is our mission. We share Jesus with others because God values them. And therefore, we value them as well. We value others as the people God made them to be, unique and full of characteristics that make them different from us, but we rejoice in those differences and we rejoice in the God who has made us one. We share with others our shared need for a Savior. We share with others the love of God that has transformed our lives. We share with them the good news about our God who has made a way for us to live together in eternity with him. Now you might say, well, okay, I, I value others, I value differences, but that's just not something that seems like something I could do. How could I, 
How could I possibly approach them? What could I possibly say to others who are so different than me? Well, I wonder if Philip, from the book of Acts, ever thought that way. He may have, honestly. After all, do you remember what Philip's job was in the book of Acts? He was one of the ones who was chosen to help with the bread distribution in Jerusalem. He was not an apostle. He was not trained to share the gospel. And yet, because of the great persecution that was happening in that region, he was scattered, as were many of the Christians in that day. But then God used him and used that happening to have him share the gospel with others, the gospel of Jesus, even with people who were different than him. Philip first went to Samaria, which were people that Jews did not like to associate with, but he shared the good news of Jesus with them. And then one day, Philip was on a road to Egypt and finding a high-ranking official from Ethiopia. And Philip didn't begin that conversation talking about all the differences that there must exist between them, differences of language or nationality or socioeconomic status or background, anything like that. No, Philip saw this man from Ethiopia, saw that he was a valued person created and loved by God, and so he sat down with him and opened up the book of Isaiah with him and just talked about Jesus. One Lord one faith, one baptism. And then the two of them, they went on to live different lives in different places because God had plans for each of them how he was going to use them in their respective locations. But Philip and this man from Ethiopia were and still are united in Jesus Christ. And so are we. Jesus invites us with him beyond the walls of differences. And we rejoice that he has made us so different and yet also values us so greatly that we will forever be united with him and with all those whom he has loved. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.